This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Friday edition of the program. Uh, you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is a program dedicated to taking your live calls and answering questions. Questions you might have about the Bible. Um, questions about what it means, how we can use it, uh, what we believe as Christians and why. Whatever we can do to help, that's what we want to do. Let me give you phone numbers for your live calls. It's 340-9585. That's 340-9585. Or you can call toll-free at 1-877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. As always, you can email questions to us as well. You can email questions at calvarysa.com. Well, because it's Friday, we're getting ready for weekend. I know you are as well. I hope this weekend at church, the Lord will bless you and speak to your hearts. Um, tonight here at Calvary Chapel at 7 o'clock, we have our Friday night New Testament studies. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Um, really, what the life of a servant looks like. Sunday will be in John chapter 8. So I'd appreciate your prayers, and we'll be praying that the Lord uses you in your church services as well. Just go and ask God to provide some divine appointments. He'll do it, and you'll be blessed. Let's get to some questions that we have. Um, Let me go to, this is not as easy as I thought it would be. This one is from Nina. Nina says, Pastor Ron, I've heard you say and am uplifted when you talk about trusting the Lord to bring the man he has for you uh, and to just pray to trust and wait. I married the love of my life uh, when I was 19. We'd been a couple since the eighth grade when he came back from Vietnam. He was so different. Anyway, we divorced after 10 years. He just walked out one day. I've been praying for his salvation now for almost 30 years and also that the Lord would breathe love into our marriage again. Boy, that's faithfulness, Nina. I still love him with all my heart. I know the Lord either ordains something to happen or allows it to happen. I truly do not know what happened. I sometimes wonder if I blew my blessing that this was the man the Lord had for me and if I messed up somehow. I've even prayed for the Lord to remove him from my heart, my thoughts, and my dreams, but he doesn't. If I feel so strongly, is it the Lord telling me to continue to pray for him? Uh, Nina, I appreciate your heart more than you know, but there's some really important things to consider. Uh, Whenever we say as Christians that the Lord uh, causes something, ordains something, or allows something to happen, we really aren't understanding the circumstances. God wanted everything to be perfect, and humans messed it up. And if humans mess it up, there's nothing at all that we can do about it. 
it's done, then we trust God in the process of it. Now, it's very important. He allows things to happen only in so far as he doesn't stop them from happening. That's all. And and it's not the normal course of God to, to, to stop the bad things that we do or the horrible decisions that we make. Um, things happen. Sin entered the world. We mess up. So it's not that he ordains it. It's not something that pleases him. It's not something he just says, well, you know, I think I'll test Nina in this way. It's not that at all. We mess up. Uh, Vietnam, uh, um, that's my era, of course, and, and I know a lot of people that came back from Vietnam who were different, and unfortunately you got caught in that situation. Uh, so here's the other thing. Don't worry about if you blew your blessing. There's, you know, I messed up somehow. How, how could you have messed up? You weren't in control of any of those things. God is not one who says, well, Nina, you blew it, so I'm going to punish you. He doesn't want you to walk in condemnation. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Nina, you've written before, and, and, and clearly you're a woman who loves the Lord. So trust in him. Now, dealing with the issue of this man, you still loving him and being in your heart, of course you pray for him. Um, it's not the Lord telling you to continue to pray for him. You just need to pray for him. Whatever's on your heart, whoever is on your heart, continue to pray for them. You want the best for him. As you said, you love him. So you need or want him to have Jesus. So, yeah, keep praying for him. All the while, you move on with your life by walking with Jesus. Now, it is possible. Who knows what God's thinking or what God is doing? But it's possible that... He's kept others out of your life and kept this man in your heart because God will do something. But that's not a reason to follow Jesus. We follow Jesus because of what he did for us. All we do is with all of our heart, we follow the Lord. And whatever he has is what's the best thing for us. And even if it's something that we want that we're not getting or something that we don't want that's happening to us, we don't lay that at the Lord. We just trust him. We follow him. And he'll lead us in the place he wants us to be. You know, I, I said, Nina, at the start of our program today that tonight we're in Second Corinthians chapter 11, what the life of a true servant looks like. And, you know, we too often are guilty of thinking that if we're following the Lord, if everything's right, if I haven't messed up, then everything will go well. Well, tonight we're going to talk about all of the horrible things that the Apostle Paul had to deal with. An amazing life, but, but a life that was so afflicted that it's hard for us even to imagine. And what we've got to do is understand that God's grace was sufficient for Paul. His grace will be sufficient for you. So please keep praying for this man who walked out on your marriage. Um, Pray for his heart. Pray for his mental condition. Um, Pray that he finds Jesus. And who knows? We'll pray that the Lord, if that's what you want, to bring him back into your life. But remember the part of Jesus' prayer from the Garden of Gethsemane, Nevertheless, thy will, not my will, be done. You know, I, I love your heart, and, and you've demonstrated before with questions. Uh, you're fine. The Lord loves you. Not just for Nina, but for everybody in the audience. You know, when things aren't going well, we need to stop jumping to the conclusion that God must be angry or God must be frustrated or we must have done something wrong. We serve a God who's crazy about us. He loves us. He thinks about us all day, every day. And and that's the God that we have to know in spite of whatever's going on. 
So things aren't our fault. When we're in sin, he loves us enough to tell us, and he'll correct us. But we don't have to add to that. There's an enemy who wants to keep you confused. But please don't be confused about the nature and character of God or his heart for you. Nina, I hope that helps a little bit and comforts you. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Uh, Here is a really important question. Excuse me, it's a question from James. Hello, Pastor Ron. I have two sons, ages six and four, and wanted to know from a biblical view of child disciplining. Uh, My youngest child has had numerous incidents at daycare of hitting his teachers when he gets disciplined by them. What does the Bible say about spankings? Also, is there a time for timeouts, losing privileges, or no spanking at all? Can you talk about the struggle of being consistent, uh, and especially when both parents may not see eye to eye on which way to discipline? I often battle in my mind hitting, uh, I'm sorry, him hitting teachers may be a result of spankings. I know no matter what, I have to stand and trust God's word and discipline them in love. Thank you and the staff for all you do in our community. James, thank you very much for the kind words. These are such important issues. Uh, James, the first thing let me do is recommend uh, a series on parenting that I did here at Calvary Chapel. Uh, It remains to this day by far the most popular um, series I've ever done. By popular, I don't mean good or not looking for props or anything like that, but I mean the most listened to, the most requested. Uh, People find it really, really valuable. Uh, I think there's eight uh, separate teachings, uh, and they're all available at calvarysa.com. Now, having said that, um, a biblical view of child discipline uh, is, is simply letting the Father be our example. We who are fathers, and by extension, we who in the audience who are mothers, uh, we're placed in our homes to represent the Lord. It's very important that we love our children, that we never, ever, ever, I want to say this a hundred times if I had the time, never, ever, ever discipline or spank in anger. We do so reasonably. We do so always in love. We do so um, masking our emotions. By that, I don't mean hiding the emotions, but not letting the emotions get the best of us. We have to do things in a reasonable, measured manner. And any kind of discipline done in anger is always discipline done wrongly. So let me take your questions sort of one at a time. And and, um, I don't know what kind of discipline that the teachers are giving to your son when he hits them. But but you have to deal with this issue of hitting very, very quickly and firmly and consistently. Uh, We have kids that bite here and we've had kids that hit here and we have kids that actually we had somebody that would just pull something out and just stab people with forks or anything else that they could. Uh, Kids just react. These aren't um, homicidal little kids. They're just kids that are reacting to, to what they feel at the moment, whatever their emotion is. But they have to be trained. 
they have to be told that injuring some other kid is unacceptable. We had one kid that was a biter, but so fast that even with eyes on him, he could somehow find a way to bite other kids. And it's something that the parents have to deal with in conjunction with teachers very, very firmly. And as I said a moment ago, very consistently. So that's important. So what does the Bible say about spanking? The Bible says that spanking corporal punishment is a reasonable method of discipline. Um, in the Old Testament, of course, the book of Proverbs, which is the greatest Bible uh, book ever written, not Bible book, but best book ever written on the issue of disciplining children, as well as raising children. And by the way, it was written by a man who was a terrible father, if you can believe that. Um, but but it's the heart of God, it's the mind of God. So spanking children isn't going to kill them. That's what Proverbs says. It's not going to destroy them. It's not going to break their spirit. What it is going to do is modify their behavior. Now, again, spanking should be done uh, in love. Again, I want to emphasize never in anger, but they should be done reasonably talking to the child all along. We had a, a principal, and we, we do spank here at Calvary Chapel Christian Academy, and the parents sign a, a parental contract. We, we, we try to get the parents here, but, but in the event the parent can't come, they've given us permission to, to, to spank. And we have a designated spanker for the girls and a designated spanker for the boys. Our first principal, Pastor Barry, he used to sit down, and he was serious. He was a small man, but he was very serious, and he would say to the child, he'd say, now, now you know what you did was wrong? Yes. Do you know that you deserve a spanking? Yes. Do you know that we don't want to spank you and we love you? Yes. Well, you know I still have to spank you? Yes, but I don't want you to, the kind child would say. But but he, he would reason through them so that the child could make a connection between the behavior and the punishment. If, if, if all we do is get angry and start swatting or spanking, then there's no connection. This is something that has to be done the same way every time. So it's important that there's nothing wrong with spanking. Uh, the, the child acting out is not going to be connected to the spanking. It just it might be connected to other bursts of emotion or other bursts of anger. Um, is there a time for timeouts? I, I'm not a big fan at all for timeouts. Timeouts are no punishment. You know, go count to 10 or go sit in the corner or go take 20 minutes of quiet time, whatever it is. Uh, if you can discipline your child to do that, you can discipline them to behave correctly. I think timeouts are just something that that um, makes it easier for parents, and that's not the goal we're talking about discipline. Uh, Taking away privileges as the children get older and can understand it, then certainly that's an effective means of discipline. But here's the idea. You know your children. You've got the Spirit of God living in you. God, of course, knows your children. So find out what works best. Spanking works really great for some kids. It doesn't affect other kids at all. There are other punishments. We have a child that we would, would uh, uh, here around the, the academy, uh, we'd have him do cleaning. He hated to clean, but he knew he was going to have to do it, and it affected his behavior, modified his behavior. So different things work for different kids. As an adult, as a parent, you know your children and you learn what works. Just make sure it's based on what works for him or for her and not what makes you feel better or more convenient. Now, here's the most important part of your question. You said, can you talk about the struggle of being consistent and when both parents do not see eye to eye on, on the way to discipline? James, there is no room 
for a lack of agreement in this matter. There's no room. A mom and a dad, presumably both Christians, open the Bible, and your job is to agree with God. It doesn't matter what your opinion is or what her opinion is. You agree to agree with Jesus, and you trust him. And there can't be division because these kids are brilliant. They're manipulative. They will work one against the other. And the moment you think, oh, they can't do that. I'm smarter than they are. You watch. You just watch what happens. So this is something that two parents have to be in agreement on. Again, there should be no problem if one of you is is anti-spanking and the other is pro-spanking. There should be no issue if spanking is never done in anger. Spanking should never be done with volume. I tell the church here all the time, James, that there simply should never be volume in your home. You know, if your child is running across the street, I guess that's a good reason to yell and say, don't run across the street. But other than that, your, your tones of conversation should be measured and reasonable. We have the Spirit of God living in us. We can control our emotions. And we have control over our anger in the, in the power of God. So what we have to do is just agree in these things. Because as long as there's no agreement, how can two walk together unless they'd agree to do so? As long as there's no agreement, then there's going to be no consistency and there's always going to be resentment uh, against the parent who doesn't get, or, or from the parent who doesn't get his or her way. So these are really, really important things. Uh, if you feel mean, you know, sometimes um, people hear the word discipline or they hear the word spanking and immediately they, their mind goes to beating or, or, or being mean. Um, understand that's not your heart. And, and because you might have been raised differently, that only adds to your resolve to be loving and consistent in raising your child. There's nothing more difficult for a child than confusion. Inconsistency creates confusion. So please, please, please. So James, uh, let me recommend again for you and for uh, anyone else in the audience who's interested, uh, calvarysa.com. You can go to uh, uh, the, the, the the teachings, and there's a section for uh, the parenting series. It's several years old now. I don't even know how many years old, uh, but it keeps getting hit. So um, maybe that will give you some direction. And don't just focus on the one about discipline. Um, focus. There are series. They're in order for a reason. And so take the time, you and your wife, together and listen to them. And I think um, the Lord will probably give you some information. Thanks a lot. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Phones are quiet. Sometimes it happens on Friday, but we'd love your live calls. You can also call toll-free at 1-877-630-5757. Here's a question from Jacob. Why did God accept Abel's offering, but not Cain's? Well, Jacob, the reason is because uh, Cain did what a lot of us try to do. We wanted to serve God our way on our terms instead of his way on his terms. We think it ought to be okay for us to do what we want to do, do the best we can and say, God, this is what we want to do. But we have to do what he says. Now, in Cain and Abel's situation, we know from Hebrews 11 that Abel's offering was offered in faith. Now, obedience is a 
is a requirement. If, if you believe God, that's what faith is, actively trusting God. You have to be obedient. It makes it clear in the account that God had spoken to them many times, and even that Cain had given many offerings the way that God prescribed. God never leaves us in the dark. We know what we need to do. Cain apparently got tired of it, and he went out and wanted to offer the work of his own hands. Now, we understand that. I work hard. This is what I do. I'm going to do this. I'm going to give this to you. But God said to do it another way. Now, we know without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. So the idea here is very, very important. Cain wanted to come to God, approach God on his own terms. And that's why his offering wasn't accepted. Uh, Offerings are given in faith. The offerings uh, from uh, Romans chapter 12. Offering our bodies as living sacrifices to the Lord. We only can do that by faith. Any other offering isn't an offering to God at all. It's trying to get God to accept what we want to do. And as Christians, we need to be men and women who understand that God simply doesn't negotiate with us. He tells us what he wants. It's our job as people who love him to do what he says. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. The same thing is true for us. So if you want offering your offering to be accepted, Lord, whatever it is, give the Lord what he's asked for and do it on his terms. One final thought, Jacob, and this doesn't address specifically the question, but the principle more. Um, we have got to stop thinking of God as as we think of other people. You know, we do our best for people and they are grateful. We say, look, I worked hard. God just wants us to obey. Nothing more, nothing less. He just wants us to be obedient. The results, once we're obedient, are left to him. In Abel's case, it cost him his life. Jealousy provoked his brother to murder him. And isn't it interesting that God tried to prevent Cain from committing that horrible act? even told him that sin is crouching at your door. It desires to own you, Cain. Don't do this terrible thing. But he did it anyway because, well, that's what we humans do. We do what we want to do. So I hope that helps, Jacob. That's the best answer I've got. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is an interesting question from Neville. Pastor Ron, can you explain why Paul would say Cretans are lazy and liars? That seems like gossip to me. Well, let's look at the passage of Scripture first. I'm going to read Titus chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Paul is writing and he says, Even one of their own prophets has said Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy glutens. And then he says this testimony is true. Let me read on just a little bit more. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith. Now, here's the the background on this one, Neville. Uh, We're talking about an an overseer being entrusted with God's work and the qualifications of being an overseer or pastor in this particular case. And he lists some some character traits and qualities. Um, And then when he gets to verse 10, after after that whole list of, of... good qualities. He contrasts that by saying there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. In other words, the Judaizers in Crete were um, causing difficulty. 
And so Paul says they must be silenced because they're ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. So we see their motive was bad. And then it's sort of a commentary on the dishonest gain. Paul says even one of their own prophets has said that Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy and gluttons. This testimony is true. Now, what's true? Not the fact that Cretans are always liars, always evil brutes, and always lazy gluttons. That's not what's true. What's true is that one of their own prophets said it. Paul is simply quoting what they said and to make sure that everybody understands that, that, that even they acknowledge this thing. He says, this testimony is true. And then he continues. He says, therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith. Now, these false teachers were lazy. They were out for dishonest gain. They were brutes, and Paul was warning against them. But he wasn't saying that all Cretans, this wasn't a bad ethnic joke or anything else. Uh, Paul was simply saying what was true was that one of their own prophets admitted such. So it wasn't Paul gossiping. It wasn't Paul speaking ill of people at all. It was simply uh, the Apostle Paul making a case to silence the false teachers in Crete. So I hope that helps. Thank you very much. Neville, three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. We're inside of one minute, so we don't have time for uh, another question this late in the big. I'll go over the break. We got a couple of questions that came in. Um, Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Remember uh, to keep joy of Jesus in your prayers. Uh, Saturday, October the thirty first, at eleven o'clock until three o'clock at Travis Park in downtown San Antonio. Actually, Pastor Juan is going to be making announcements. He's in charge of all things to Jesus, and we need your prayers. It is a great event, a huge event, and we'd love to meet some of you out there. You've been listening to the first half of the program. We've got thirty minutes left in this week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Three four zero ninety. We'd love to have some live calls in the second half of the program. 340-9585. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of the Friday edition of the program. I know John just said our numbers, but let me give them to you one more time. 340-9585 or toll-free 1-877-630-5757. Here's a question. It's an anonymous question, a heartbreaking one. Uh, Pastor Ron, I'm unable to have children, and I'm not sure when or how uh, to know if this is my lot in life and if I should just deal with it. Uh, how do you know if you should stop, or I'm sorry, how do you know if you should try to adopt or go the route of surrogacy? Is it just my desire? Am I pushing something that is not in God's plan? Need words of advice, and I can hear the pain in your heart. You know, sometimes, and I hope this doesn't sound uber spiritual or or uh, like I'm, I'm trying to make myself sound super spiritual, but sometimes the Lord just gives me the opportunity to read something somebody's written or look into their eyes if they're talking to me and see the pain. And uh, and I could see the pain uh, behind these uh, three sentences. So um, I want to be very, very tender, and I hope at the same time anonymous to encourage you. Um, 
to desire a child, of course, is a wonderful thing. Children are a great gift from the Lord. Uh, we're, we're born with it instinctively, uh, and not to be able to have one is 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 just a, a feeling of emptiness in some regard. Um, so keep trying, keep praying, uh, keep trying, but but remember to put your faith in God. Um, when Hannah wanted a child, she cried and she cried and she cried. She went to her dumb husband, Elkanah, and I call him dumb husband because what I'm about to say is the worst, dumbest thing he could have said. Uh, she said, give me a child. And he goes, what am I in the place of God? Am I not better than ten sons? We men think like that, by the way. And she said, no, I want a child. Well, God was preparing Hannah. The desire that he had in her heart was to, to give her a special child, not just any child, but a special child. And he had work to do in Hannah's heart. And always in these times of want, God is doing a work in our hearts. And not only did Hannah have the child, he had to get, uh, the Lord did have to get Hannah to that place where, where she would say to him, if you give me this child, I'll give it back to you. That's what he wants from all of us. And of course, Samuel was born at just the right time. A great prophet, a great judge of Israel. And Hannah kept a word. And then God opened her room and blessed her with other children as well. But but Hannah needed to be prepared for a special child, not just any child. Although she would have taken any child, she needed to be prepared for a special child. And I have found often, Anonymous, that that's exactly what God is doing. We have uh, had in the past and have uh, currently uh, women in similar situations, women who would be wonderful mothers married to men who would be wonderful fathers. And from the outside looking in, it's as though we just can't imagine, well, God, why would you do this? They'd be perfect. But we don't know the heart and the mind of God. We don't know what God's doing. Here's what we have to do in Anonymous. This is what you have to do. You have to trust in the plan of God. It's better than your plan, even if you don't know what that plan is. Even if you can't understand that his plan is better. Even if this desire of a child is consuming you. Instead, be consumed by Jesus. He's enough. His grace is sufficient. Now, I say that because maybe God is doing that same thing in your heart. Preparing you for a special child. I've told a story here about Holly and Ryan many times. Eight babies in heaven. And every time her heart would be broken because she just couldn't carry one to fruition. And her heart was so broken that her family would beg her not to try again. And yet she felt like this was what God wanted her to do. And we found that she was pregnant. And I, I think that baby was the most prayed for baby ever in this church. The kindergartners at our school prayed for her and this baby every day. And now we've got the strongest, brightest five-year-old little boy named Luke in the world. God was preparing Holly and Ryan for this very special child. I currently have two young couples, both of them on staff, one of them my youth pastor and his wife. Another one, our Bible teacher here at the academy and his wife. I, I, and she teaches here uh, in, in first grade. Again, I couldn't imagine better moms. And yet the Lord has not blessed them with the ability to conceive yet. 
And so we keep praying. Now, in one case, they tried to go the adoption route. And it seems as though God has been sort of frustrating it at every turn. So many compromises have to be made to go through this process. And who knows why? But they came to me just last week, in fact, and said, you know what, we're going to leave this in God's hands. Too much up and down emotionally, too much heartbreak. We're going to leave this in God's hands. And there's peace. So Anonymous, keep praying. There's never, ever anything wrong with adopting a child. If you can give a good, godly home to a son or a daughter who otherwise wouldn't be in one, that's a good thing. But don't give up on having your own either. Just get to that place where you're content with whatever God's plan for you is going to be. The desire is a healthy desire. God didn't put it in there to pull the rugs out of your feet. He may answer that desire in different ways than you ever imagined. But I promise you, in the end, you'll see his heart and his wisdom in whatever it is he does. One more thing. Um, I'm going to put you on a prayer list that I pray for every day. Um, I have your first name because the email has it. Uh, I will be praying along with Pastor Nelly and Michelle and Samuel and Megan and Ola, a radio listener that I pray for every day for the exact same thing. Now, that list used to be bigger, but some of those people have had babies. So my list is, is, is real manageable right now. And Anonymous, I will be praying for you every day, every day. You can count on it. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. 340-9585. Uh, Jeff wants to know, is it always God's will to heal us? Only if you're watching so-called Christian television, Jeff. Of course it's not God's will to heal us. I'm Right now, as I said at the top of the program, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 tonight on our Friday night study. And we're going to talk about all of the things that Paul had to endure. And then next week, we're going to talk about a thorn in the flesh, physical affliction, a very significant, severe affliction that God didn't heal. People get sick. We live in a fallen world. And people who want to make money from you are going to tell you that if you just have enough faith and if you just give enough money, God will heal you. And, of course, if he doesn't heal you, it's not their fault. It's your fault. Jeff, it is not always God's will to heal us. That's a pernicious teaching. And what we need to do is read the Bible for ourselves. God didn't create this world so that people would get sick. He didn't create this world even that people would die. He created it perfect, and we messed it up. And so sometimes we just get sick. Some of the most wonderful saints of God that I've ever known suffered mildly before they went to be with Jesus. And at that moment, their suffering was ended. But on this world, it is not always God's will to heal us. Thanks, Jeff. I hope that makes sense to you. Victor on line one. Victor, thanks for calling. You're on the air. 
Yes, sir. I just had a, a real quick question. Uh, okay. When it comes to uh, the persecuting uh, Christians being persecuted, I, I understand. I know that there's a lot of teaching that says that uh, God promised that it won't happen. Uh, that we'll be raptured out before it happens. But I mean, you see all the persecuting uh, that's being done to the churches, uh, the believers that are like in China and other uh, parts of the world. Um, and I just uh, wanted to know if you could speak to that about, uh, uh, you know, how why is it that American church they, they often teach that we're not going to go through it that God will take us rapture us out before it happens and I'll go ahead and hang up and, and listen to the radio thank you sir thank you Victor appreciate the question uh, even as you ask that question, there is a Calvary Chapel pastor out of Boise, Idaho, Pastor Saeed Abedini, who is sitting in an Iranian jail, has been there now for more than three and a half years, and has been tortured. He has been denied medical care. Um, his family is um, alone. Um, his children are growing up without their father, and they live in fear every moment of every day that they would get the call that says he's gone. And we in America especially wonder why that happens. Well, Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. But Victor, he did not say you'll have great tribulation. He makes a clear distinction between tribulation, the trials and troubles of the world that we live in, and the great tribulation, which speaks of a very specific time in history where God is pouring out his wrath by definition, his anger on a Christ-rejecting world. Now, Victor, he can't pour out his anger on those of us he loves because we're perfect. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Think about that for a moment. We are righteous. We have right standing with God. And God's not angry. He can't pour out his wrath. Now, he did judge our sins, Victor, but he judged our sins on the person of his son, Jesus. So, when God is angry at a world that's rejected, when he's going to set things right, he's going to judge again his people who've rejected him, he's going to judge the enemies of his people, and this world is given over to evil. How could he judge those that have already been judged? And again, I say your sins and mine, Victor, have been judged. So we will go through tribulation but not the great tribulation, two completely different things. In fact, relative to the tribulation in this world, whether it's persecution, you know, the, 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 the church Christians have been martyred from the very beginning. James, one of Jesus' inner circle, was the first of the apostles martyred for his faith. He lost his head. And when he, uh, Herod saw how much it pleased the people, he was going to cut off Peter's head as well. And only a miraculous escape from prison save Peter's life. So what's the difference? Well, the will and the plan of God that we don't know. One was murdered, the other was rescued. Jesus said, they hated me, they'll hate you. He said, families will be divided on my account. He said, even to his own disciples, you will be brought before kings and rulers. You'll be thrown in prison. So persecution has been part of this world from the very beginning, and Christ's people have and always will be persecuted. But please don't make the mistake of persecution, tribulation, trials, and suffering. Don't make the mistake of equating that with the great tribulation, which is a time that will come on this world worse than anything that has ever come before or worse than anything that would ever come since. 
That's God's wrath. And he can't judge those that he loves. It's that simple. So I hope that helps, Victor. 340-9585. For everybody in the audience, you know, I keep saying that the return of Jesus is near, and I believe it with all of my heart. I think if you look around at the world that we live in and the speed, the breathtaking speed at which it is deteriorating, when you look at the military situation all over the world, especially in and around the Middle East, i.e. Syria and Turkey and Israel and Iran, Iraq, bombs are flying even now the return of Jesus is near and we need to be ready we need to declare that Jesus is coming again and before he comes to judge the world that we can be escaped Jesus said to his disciples discussing the Olivet Discourse talking about this very time this great tribulation He looked at his disciples and said, Pray that you may be counted worthy to escape these things. Well, the only way we can escape them is to be his. And he said, The time is coming when I'm going to come to take you to be with me where I am. In 1 Corinthians 15, 51, it says it'll happen in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye. We will be caught up in the air. He's not coming to earth. He's bringing us on earth to meet him in the air, to take us to be with him in the time that we know as the marriage supper of the Lamb, a feast of seven years when God judges the world before he returns to clean it all up. So, Victor, I hope that helps. Very important doctrine of the church. Very important doctrine for fruitful service as well. 340-9585. Here is a question from Evelyn. Pastor Ron, what can I say to help a friend of mine who is not a believer but whose life is a mess? Is there any source of help other than the Bible? Evelyn, the answer is no. We can pretend. We can say nice things. We can try to make your friend feel better about herself or perhaps himself. But there's no real help only the truth so here's what you do with people that you love I can tell you love this person you just tell them look at the evidence your life is a mess you're not a believer and I have the answers and you can tell them oh I don't want to hear about Jesus you can say look I can't imagine heaven without you that shows your heart right there. I can't imagine heaven without you. So as long as we're together, as long as you have breath and I have breath, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. And then sort of the closing question is, what do you have to lose? Your life is a mess. If you'll just do that, let the Holy Spirit, and then pray, let the Holy Spirit really work on his or her heart. Thank you. I hope that helps. Let's go to Ray in conference. You know, sometimes, Ray, before you get started, sometimes, you know, people want help. You know, is there just something I can tell them? I want to help their lives. You know, let them fall apart. Let them get desperate. That's what happened to me. It's the only way I got to Jesus. Let them get desperate enough because they'll come running to you when they do. Ray, sorry for bump butting in. You're on the air. Oh, okay. I, I heard you when you said just before I start, and then you just went completely blank. I could barely hear anything, but as long as you can hear me now. I can hear you fine. 
Oh, good. Okay. Well, I I don't know if it was last week or earlier this week, but I think maybe a little of both. Uh, many questions you get on why can't women, female, uh, be you know pastors, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I was thinking about this and wondered if you could explain a little bit or shed any light on what I'm thinking about as far as when uh, when uh, in, in we were let us make man in our image and and that's you know God the Father the Son um, and we don't really have those are both male you know, sides and, and we don't really have a, a, an inkling of the Holy Spirit and I guess that's because really it's irrelevant <laughs> because of the Spirit but uh, I was wondering if that had any bearing on anything as far as you know the nature of God and our nature and you know it had just kind of puzzled me and I hadn't been able to get through and uh, when it was a little more pertinent and I'll just listen on the radio Thank you, Ray. Appreciate the question. Actually, I had a, a, a sort of an email today from somebody who was taking me to task um, as a misogynist. You know, you don't think women are good enough to teach, and and you think women are second-class citizens. I, I don't think any of those things. First uh, Timothy chapter two verse twelve, and and it, 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 there's no way to spin this. The Apostle Paul, writing by the Spirit of God, says, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. She must be silent. And the silence isn't in the church. We know we know that, that women are prophetesses in the early church. We know that they prayed in the early church. So we've got to take the Bible as a whole. What he's talking about, she must be silent in this issue of teaching from a position of authority over a man. And there's no way to, to, to explain that away. You cannot exegete that passage and come up with any doctrine that says it's okay for a woman to be a pastor. It doesn't say that women aren't smart enough, that they're not spiritual enough, that they're not decisive enough, or even that they're too emotional. He explains it simply by saying, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. That's the order. And then he explains why that was the order. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. And the idea there is that's the punishment for the sin. That's all. It's not God's intent. He was never to create that hierarchy. We were to be partners, walking together, following Jesus with complete and total authority, one with the other. Again, we blew it. So, very simply put, women are not to be pastors in churches. They're not to teach men from a position of authority, period. It is the only office in the church, the only gift that women are excluded from. God wants two places for his own. He wants his church and the household of those who belong to him. Men are in charge, again, not because we're smarter or better. In fact, we probably do a much worse job than the women would do. I know that's true in my house. But this is the way God said to do it. Now, relative to being made in our image, um, God, of course, when talking about made in our image, wasn't talking about physicality at all. The Father's spirit and the Holy Spirit, of course, is spirit. Jesus at that time had not yet become a man. So the idea, by that I mean in the incarnation, uh, the idea here is that we're created like God in two ways. We have free will. 
We have the capacity to choose. So we're made in his image in that sense. As he chose us, we can choose him, or we can choose not to have anything to do with him. So in that way, we're made in his image. The other way we're made in his image is that we um, are going to live, once we're born, we're going to live forever. As God lives forever, we're going to live forever. Once we, we, we draw breath in this life, once the, the baby starts crying, uh, that baby is going to live forever and ever and ever. So that's the only reference. Uh, it says, male and female, he made them. And that's the idea. This is the representation of the nature and the character of God. So I, I hope that gets to your question, Ray. Uh, it's best I can do. Uh, we're inside four minutes now for the rest of the program, for the rest of the week. Here's one I can do in four minutes. Phil says, uh, Pastor Ron, my question is about generational curses. What can I do if my family was cursed to free myself? Phil, here's what you do to get saved. Because once you're saved, there's no such thing as a curse. Now, let me be very clear, not just to Phil, but to anybody listening in this audience. We have people, unfortunately, in our city and all over the Christian media uh, that teach generational curses. Please notice that everything they say about generational curses ends up promoting a book or asking you to give them money so they can pray to break your generational curse. Money, 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 money. There is no such thing. They quote Exodus, for God will punish to the third and the fourth generation who are those who hate him. Phil, if you don't hate God, you don't have to worry about this. Extending love to a thousand generations of those who love me. So here's the thing. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Believe that and stop listening to nonsense about generational curses. They simply don't exist. You don't have to worry about them. It's like it's like fighting pink elephants. There's no such thing. And when false teachers keep us strung out on these things, they're setting us up for attack from the enemy. Pretty soon we're no longer responsible for what we do. Well, it's my parents' fault or my grandparents' fault because they did these things and now my generation is cursed. Not so. We have been redeemed, Galatians 3 says, from the curse of the law. It is for freedom, Paul says, that we've been set free. So generational curses, every time you hear it, just think a lie from the devil. It's not true. I wish these guys weren't so popular, but the reason they are is because we don't read our Bibles, and they count on it, and they're making money on it. So, Phil, don't worry. You're not cursed. You're loved for a thousand generations. In spite of everything you've done, God loves you. He's crazy about you. Well, you've been listening to the program. It's been a good week on the air. Thanks very much for your calls and your questions. Uh, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Remember, go to church not to sit and just listen, but to be used by the Lord. Prepare your heart. God, whoever is hurting, show me who they are. If I can pray for them, if I can love on them for you, let me be your hands and let me be your heart, Lord. You'll be amazed at the blessing you receive. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'll be back on Monday at 4 o'clock on AM 630 KSLR, The Word in South Texas. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. 
Door to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4. And Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at CalvarySA.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. 